You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. All right. Hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, my uh, listening, uh, my listening friends. Um, I always want to say like it's good to see you, but I don't really actually not. see you. But um, mm-hmm. I'm actually I'm looking at Ben Hardman. Yeah, we get to see each other. Yeah. So it's but, good to see you, but it's good it's, to see you. It's good to hear your voice. We don't really get to see anybody else. We no. don't get to hear their voice either. It's just we don't. You, it's good to... for you to listen to us. Is is really the only appropriate thing to say? Yeah. I guess we could say, and that just is, seems weird. It is good. To be listened to. I'm glad that you pressed. Oh, play. that's good. That good seems to be really. To. That seems yeah. It's kind of Thank an active. Thank you, everyone, connection. for listening yeah. to us. It's about you, time somebody started listening to us. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm glad you pressed play on this episode, uh, and we want to get to this uh, interview with Jason Rates, part of our Desert Stories series. Uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, Jason's awesome. Uh, yeah. Jason is one of my kids' favorite speakers. Hmm. Uh, he's hysterical. Uh, hmm. One of the funniest guys. I know. And, uh, he's one of those guys been that you just like, you instantly say, did we just become best friends? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you hang out with him and you're just like, Oh, I love this guy. Like I want to hang out with this guy more. He's so likable and so vulnerable and honest. Uh, I just appreciate the vulnerability and honesty he brings to this interview. Uh, there's also an amazing story about how he burnt down Bill Hybel's house. Yes, I think uh, we start is, with that. Yeah, yeah, which, which is, is it's just, you know, I don't know many pastors that burnt down Bill Hybels' <laughs> house except right. for Jason. So not a ton, not a ton have that story. There's your hook to keep listening right yep. there. Yeah, you want to hear this story, friends? Um, hey, just a couple uh, quick notes before we get into that. Um, we do have two online workshops coming up. One is called the Enneagram and Stress. Um, Transformation Through Crisis. Uh, it's kind of a version of our Enneagram workshop, uh, but it's online. So um, it can come straight into your living room. You don't need to live near a place where we're doing a, a live workshop. Um, and it also focuses on some of what we've uh, noticed as uh, a lot of us um, in Coronatide have been uh, struggling with a little bit more stress and pressure than usual. 
and how the Enneagram can help us to see what's going on uh, in our souls. Uh, oh, man. To that, I got, I got so much, so many Kairoses yeah, in, the, you in should, the middle of stress and they're all relate to me. They all relate to me being a three. They are, it's yeah. all production stuff, Ben. It's yeah. all I want to produce. And I feel like totally. I'm not producing. Totally. It's all, yeah. It's, yeah. So that, yeah, that will be helpful for me. I'll, I'll sign up for that. Man. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you come? I'll yeah, give you a so, coupon code. Ooh, awesome. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then uh, the week after, that's May 9th, Saturday, May 9th. And then Saturday, May 16th, we're doing parenting, um, which is another big thing that a lot of us have had Kairos' around. Is, mm. um, I'm going to invite my, my mom and dad. All the time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> good idea. Good idea. They need to have some Kairos', right? Um, so yeah. So anyway, I uh, hope, hope you'll check those out. We'll put links to those in the show notes. Um, and um, hope to see you at one of those workshops. Uh, I think that is about it, my friends. Yeah. Enjoy the interview. Yep. Peace. Today on our podcast, we have Jason Rates, the man who burned down Bill Hybel's house. Jason, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hey there. So good to be here. Could you just, uh, <laughs> maybe you could just tell us, get, just get it off your chest. I know you've been holding this hey, story no, for a let while. Me, can, I, can I introduce Jason for real? Sure, let's Jason, do it. Jason, we want to hear this story because it's amazing. But Jason, <laughs> Jason is a pastor in Michigan. He's a church planner. Uh, Jason and I met many years ago speaking at youth camps together. Oh. Uh, my kids to this day consider Jason one of their favorite teachers. They like him more wow. than me because he's funnier than me. Oh, uh, well, how about that? <laughs> uh, and uh, Jason does an amazing job. Uh, he's an amazing communicator. You're running like a preaching school now, Jason, right? Yeah, a communication cohort. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, and uh, and you also burnt down Bill Heibel's house. So can you tell <laughs> us about? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, part of me wants to go like hashtag too soon, but I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, technically, technically years ago, I worked at Willow Creek Church and I rented a home from Todd Hybels, the son of Bill Hybels, who they co-owned the home together. So Todd went on a two-year uh, journey on a sailboat around the world, and uh, which was great as renters because, you know, the owner's kind of gone. Yeah. Uh, but January 15th of 2009, I was at work. My brother called me. My brother was living with us. He was kind of frantic. I hung up on him. He called again, hung up on again. And then the third time, I'm like, I should probably listen. Walked out of the D entrance at Willow Creek and saw a giant cloud of smoke in the neighborhood <laughs> next to it. Uh, and so I just kept going, please don't let this be. Please don't. Like, if I'm going to burn down a home, please not let it be Bill Hybels. Like, any other <laughs> home in the world. Like, please. And there it was. Came around the corner and... Um, and fire trucks everywhere. And uh, yeah, so it was like a horrific day. Uh, my family, we have four kids. We actually lost um, like 99% of everything. Uh, but two years late, two days later, two days later, I actually, uh, for the second time, I worked at Willow Creek for four years. Two times I got to touch Bill's hand. And um, <laughs> uh, it was... It was in, it was in this burnt down home, you know, and he was gracious and kind. Uh, but, but me and my staff, we had a little game called spot the Hybels when we saw him around the building. And so we would get points, <laughs> like which, you know, 
Like, was he like in the cafeteria? Was he? So yeah, it was rough in his book whisper. We're like the unknown family in chapter 10 or something. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. How does he narrate? How does he narrate that? Like a, like this lowly staff member, <laughs> nothing like that. Like his okay. son's home. And then it was like, Oh yeah, there was a family that lived there, you know, like mm. that was it. So <laughs> But for for months walking around Willow Creek, people would be like, "Oh, you're the guy who burned down Bill's home." <laughs> that was that was oh, buddy. Was, so yeah. so we're starting this episode by laughing at your pain. There it is. There <laughs> it is. That's how we're starting this, which is good because we're doing a series called Desert Stories, where we are actually talking about ministers processing pain and mm. processing the real stuff that's going on. Um, Jason, it feels like as a pastor, we get a lot of like cliche answers for what do we do when ministry hurts yeah, uh, or when family stuff is difficult or when the church is hard. And so we want to kind of zero in and hear some stories of like real deserts, real challenges, um, but also hear how those deserts are navigated uh, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of move beyond cliches. Um, so I, I know for you, you have been planting a church in Michigan. Uh, tell us a little bit about your church there. Um, and tell us a little bit about your family and family situation kind of connected to the church over the last, how, how long has the church been going? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just give you the quick, the, the yep. super quick bio. So December 24th of this year, I'll be in ministry 25 years. So December 24th, 1995, a church in Redford, Michigan hired me as their youth pastor. So I spent the first 15 years as a youth pastor. And then I traveled for a couple of years, uh, speaking in public schools, doing assemblies. Hmm. And, and then I planted Thrive Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, uh, the middle of the mitten. That's what we refer to it as. There's no mountain uh, in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, but it is pleasant like a month of the year. Um, but we have Central Michigan University where Antonio Brown went to school. So we don't really like say that too loud, but we at least say it. Mm -hmm. So uh, our church is um, 329 Sundays old. And yes, I count every single Sunday because that hard of a journey. (laughs) It's been amazing, but on the other end, it has been that hard. And Mm -hmm. so uh, we started this church just to be a place for people who've given up on God and given up on church. And so I have sort of become a little disillusioned with the Christian country club approach to Mm. church and so it's just my own my own personal opinion and so we really wanted to create a place where the least the lost the last people who are broken could could worship and and find community and oh my goodness have they like i i tell my church all the time i i just never anticipated the level of lostness um because i i think one of our values is hey we're just going to be real and talk about real life and i try to model that from the front um to, to, to an appropriate amount of vulnerability. I, I know mm-hmm. that I crossed like many, many lines of vulnerability, according to a couple people. A, my mother, who's a counselor, who's also a part of my church. She's like, oh, like, are you really going to share that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to share that. Uh, Cause I think somebody's, you know, somebody's dealing with that. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's kind of been my, my journey. When we planted the church, um, one of the pastors on my management team said, Hey, get ready because you're about to walk into the deepest amount of pain you've ever been in. And I was like, I've been in church 17 or ministry 17 years. This is going to be great. Like what, what could go wrong with starting a new church and everybody's going to love it. And everyone's going to love me. And I'm also a four on the Enneagram. I'm a high I on the disc. Come on, man. You and I are like Um, soulmates. Mm -hmm. So there you go. So 
I'm a, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a woo on strength finders. Like I love people. And honestly, like church planning has, has kicked a lot <laughs> of, of me. Uh, <laughs> I, I find myself now, like, you know, this, this, yeah. Like I, I, I love solitude. Like I, I crave it. Uh, and I live in a small enough town to where anywhere I go in town, anywhere, uh, people know me just because of my social media presence or, mm-hmm. you know, they attend our church or have attended our church. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my journey, you know, with ministry. And, and so then my family, my wife and I've been married 23 years and we have five children, uh, 2017, 15, uh, 12 and six. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have had, we are currently in and have been in probably the deepest season of pain that we've ever been in as parents. Um, mm. I was a youth pastor forever. I've, I've spoke to teenagers. I still speak to teenagers. I still speak at camps and I speak at public schools. I love teenagers. I thought that when I had teenagers of my own, it was going to be this magical, beautiful time that everything was going to be perfect. And um, it, it's, it's kind of been hell on earth the last uh. couple of years. My, my, our 17 year old son has just been battling um, depression and anxiety in such a deep way that he should be graduating this June. It will probably be another year and a half. Um, and so we've, we've just walked through this season of intense agony of grief because you're mourning what, what should be you miss seeing him smile. You miss, mm. um, having him talk. We're a family of seven, but, but a lot of the time we feel like a family of six. Mm. Um, so it's been, it's been, you know, every day it's trying to get him out of bed. Did you take your meds? You know, have we done this? Have we done that? And so, so <laughs> I never thought I'd be in a position where I'm talking to parents who are, you know, have teenagers struggling with anxiety and depression and prayerfully, uh, luckily we're not in the self-harm, um, phase of some of that, like some parents are, but it's just been, so on the flip end, our th- we have our three youngest kids have this rare genetic uh, disorder, a disease called PKU or phenylketonuria. So it means they can't eat protein. So it's a little different than like a celiac or a gluten thing. When, when they eat protein, their bodies don't break down the acid and protein and it attacks their central nervous system. So it's oh, a total wow. brain function thing. So two doctors fought for 50 years to get the PKU test. It led the way in genetic tests. So when all of us have babies, that's the test that's, you know, tested. Mm-hmm. And so because they've been tested, they'll, they'll live pretty, pretty absolutely fine and healthy lives. Um, but if they go off diet, <clears throat> lots of seizures and, and panic attacks and migraines and, you know, all this sort of stuff. So we're kind of navigating that on top of that, God called us to adopt a little boy from China. And so <clears throat> we started the process adopting a little girl from China. And a year, uh, about 14 months into the process, she passed away uh, because the, the orphanage had an infection come through and, and um, many babies couldn't fight it. So that kind of sent us through a tailspin. And then God led us to this little boy. And somehow we raised the $35,000 to do it. A um, little bit of a brag. Uh, somehow God led us to be a part of the Tim Tebow Foundation. And so on two occasions, um, I felt Tim's very muscular arm on my on my shoulders. Uh, and so I have a giant poster of that, um, uh, which is just awesome. But the Tim Tebow foundation helped us and they've just been incredible. They keep up with us. Uh, we did back in October, we got to hang out with Tim and every single time we're with Tim Tebow all two times, I'm keeping count. Uh, Mm -hmm. he just, it's like, he like, wait a minute, Tim, you're like this known person. You should not be on the ground playing with six year old Kai 
Like, what are you doing? And he just is this genuine guy. So that's kind of my, you know, my story. So really like the thing that I've learned about pain over the years is, is when I recognize I'm walking through a season of pain, I try to, as much as I can start to try to find the beauty in the pain, because the quicker that I can realize that this, this season is producing something pretty powerful in me, or it's teaching me more about where I need to be. Hmm. And I can see that beauty. Uh, the, not the quicker, because I, I don't think pain is this like, okay, if I figure this out, I can get through the pain process. But I think it's when I realize, wait a minute, I'm, I'm walking through the season and instead of trying to go around it, but I'm trying to walk through it, trusting God through it, be honest and vulnerable through it. Like, Hey, here's what's happening. Uh, I've just seen more life change in my life and transformation instead of trying to ignore it, trying to shove it down, you know, trying to do all the Christian things like, Hey, just have trust brother, you know, just, you know, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So there's, there's my, my story in a nutshell. Yeah, buddy. That's so tough, tough season. Uh, when, when you're walking through all this, what are, what are things that have happened that have been unhelpful for you? Like, like people trying to give you advice, kind of like the, Hey, just push through it kind of, kind of stuff. Can you name some of the, the ways people have kind of tried to come alongside you, but it's not been helpful? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned, and and I hope this doesn't sound tool-ish, um, but uh, I'm kind of an emotional intelligence nut. And so if I recognize, uh, I value everyone's opinion, value people, but if I recognize that maybe someone's emotional intelligence is a little low uh, or they're, you know, <laughs> they're, yeah, just where their emotional intelligence is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I may not put the walls up, you know, or I may not be as guarded because I recognize, okay, wait a minute. These thoughts are not coming from someone who, you know, uh, has a deep formation that way. So I'll, I'll still be able to listen, but it doesn't wound me like it used to hmm. before I led, before I read emotionally healthy spirituality and all of the Peter Scazzaro stuff, yeah. um, everything wounded me. And, and hmm. partly because I'm a people pleaser. I mean, I'm a people pleaser on steroids and then I plant a church <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> where like, I want everybody to like my church. I want everybody to like me. What do you, you like my preaching? I'm too funny. Yeah. I'm not deep enough. Like, you know why you left my church and now you won't look at me in Walmart. Like why you unfriended mm. me on Facebook. Oh no. You know, and for a few years of the church, plant, like, like every single one of those just felt like the deepest wound. Hmm. And so I, I had to learn how to recognize, okay, some of this emotional intelligence in people. Um, that's, that's, that's honestly been just a giant lifesaver. And then for me, like I've had to do a lot of work with this people pleasing because the pain wounded me so deep uh, when, yeah, pain does that, but I just didn't have, you know, the ability to go, wait a minute. Okay. This doesn't need to, this was not a personal attack on Jason. Mm -hmm. You know, this wasn't the thing that was, you know, that was coming against me. So, you know, those have been, those, those have been really helpful. Um, And then like, you know, consistently seeing my counselor, you know, paying attention and recognizing when I'm starting to dip into a season, uh, depression kind of runs in my family. My younger brother dealt with it at the same age as my 17 year old son has dealt with it. And so I've never been in a deep, deep depression, but I have had seasons of mild depression. You know, I'm an up and down 
you know, mm -hmm. me and Elijah, we're probably really, really close. You know, <laughs> one day we're like, God is doing the most amazing things. And then the next day, you know, I, I forget all of it. Yeah. Even this morning on Facebook, I quoted a Max Lucado quote just because I've gone back to it about it before, but it's funny how fear can create kind of this spiritual amnesia in us. And so, you know, it like dulls our miracle memory. Like we forget that God has gotten us through it. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's what pain and fear and those kind of things do, you know? And so, yeah. you know, when we, when we have some of those tools in place to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do everything I can to stay emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy. When the pain comes, boy, I can walk through it a whole lot a whole lot better. Yeah. What I hear you so. say in response to Hardman's question, Jason, is that you, you became more aware of like your triggers, the things that like your pitfalls yes. and your snares, and you became aware of other people's uh, weaknesses uh, so that you could have more compassion on yourself and more compassion on them. Like they're, yeah. Yeah. Which, which sounds like becoming more like Jesus. I mean, you know, yeah. from my, I'm, a, yeah. I'm an armchair theologian here, but like that sounds like actual sanctification in your life, right? So this isn't just, I mean, Pete Scazzaro's work has been hugely important for us too. So this isn't just about like mental health or, um, you know, uh, not making your church blow up. This is actually about, you know, discipleship and about yeah. becoming more like Christ. Yeah. And so I hear, I hear that's an artifact of how you've navigated some of these painful times. Yep. Yeah, and it's been so difficult for me as a church planner because, uh, you know, I, I've worked at two mega churches, uh, you know, I'm pretty, pretty driven and it's just sort of been ingrained in me that, you know, empty seats equals, you know, well, my identity is not very important and, you know, my church, you know, do I have as many baptisms as a church over there and we don't have a building yet. And so, like it's, it's been, it's been a crazy journey for me because the first three years of our church plant, like everything revolved around me because all the people pouring into me was like, you got to launch large. You got to have a ton of people. You have mm -hmm. to, you have to, you have to. And I, I, I just, I bought into it hook, hook, line and sinker. And I, you know, three years into it, I, I hit a massive wall, emotionally exhausted. You know, everybody came to me, everybody had my cell phone number and <clears throat> going back to what you just said, like, um, I fall into those seasons because I have this hero complex, this Messiah complex, mm -hmm. and I see the church not doing very well. And I go, oh, wait a minute. If I just get more excited or if I do these things and I've had to really learn. So long story short, maybe this is too much that you wanted to know. But no, man, let's hear it. last June, um, you know, we were kind of at a, a crazy low place. We had launched a building campaign at our church. It had just not done what we had hoped for. Uh, we're in a low economic area. Plus we're reaching people who, you know, the idea of giving money is just this crazy, crazy concept. We have a core group of people who are amazing givers and all that. So, and then I had gained a bunch of weight, uh, just dealing with the stress of home. And then just with having a large family, being a one income family for a long time, we had just let some medical debt rack up. And so that, that stress, our son's stress, trying to feed our PKUers just because they, eat a special no protein food. It's very, very expensive. And so we've been actually lobbying and advocating for this bill to get passed to help the rare disease community. And then on top of it, trying to lead a church. And I, <laughs> I just, I just, when people told me, you know, when I complained about my pastor, when I was the youth pastor and I thought, what does he do all day? And what is this? Boy, the weight, uh, I just never anticipated the weight and, mm -hmm. and um, that my health really does mirror the health of the church a lot. 
And um, hmm. I took my staff to a, a Detroit Tigers baseball game on a staff retreat. It's in June of last year. We're just having a blast. And I just, I just desperately wanted to be alone, which was a good thing because the Tigers, you know, <laughs> we haven't had packed stadiums in a while. Um, so I left the staff uh, and I, I left the staff and I went up to the very top of the stadium, which I hate heights. Like it's, it's well documented with my family about what a, a wuss I am and all that kind of stuff. And I stood at the very top and I looked over and I never do that stuff just because I'm, I'm, I'm so afraid of heights. And for the second time in my life, the thought came into my mind. Uh, this is, this is your answer. Just jump. Hmm. And every just hmm. it actually wasn't even jump. It was just fall over because I'm not brave enough to jump. Uh, just fall over and everything will go away. And, you know, I have counseled hundreds of people through suicidal thoughts. And I have done assemblies about it in public schools. And I've talked about the preciousness of life. And I've officiated funerals for people who have taken their life. Like, I get it all. I understand it all. But for 30-some seconds this thought just kept dwelling to the point where I thought, okay, I'm going to leave some notes for my wife and kids. Mm -hmm. And, and then, okay. Then it was like the Holy spirit evaded in and was like, no, 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 no. And I walked away and I, you know, it was like, okay, this is the, but, but I, it just, it just hit me. How could someone who has a wife who loves him, five kids who have great relationship with my kids, you know, mm -hmm. parents who love me, we have great in-laws. I have a, elder team in my church. Like, how could I ever get to this place? And I think it's because, you know, we don't, we, I didn't process the pain level and I didn't figure out how not to invade my soul so much. Uh, Leadership pain by Sam Chand has just been a, maybe I'm pronouncing his last name wrong. Samuel Chand um, has just been an incredible book for me. And to be able to hear other pastors talk about some of that stuff, because so often we just hear the Christian cliches, you know, like, one of my favorite, my favorite authors, and I was just in Ebenezer's Coffee House in D.C., Mark Batterson, who wrote The Circle Maker and all these yeah. books. You know, I mean, the guy walks around something and it's like, you know, money bags pops off. And I know that it doesn't happen and all that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was, I was just like, I was, I was, you know, I was just thinking about those kind of moments. And I'm going, OK, God, like so often all I'm hearing are these incredible stories online and from other pastors where we just build a building and we just did this. And I'm going, okay, why is this not happening? And I think it's a constant for me, one of those tools to deal with and process pain is to every morning have a, a gratitude time. Mm. Okay. God today, I am so thankful that, you know, my children are healthy because my children, you know, if they were born in another country, they would, they would be mentally handicapped right now. You know, mm -hmm. so that's just been a huge part for me. It's yeah, good, man. It's good. So wrestling with all that, what, <clears throat> what steps have you taken to kind of get healthy? What are, what are the things that you've kind of done in your life? What are the disciplines? What's the work that you've had to do over the last, you know, few months to kind of get back on track, get back to like, uh, I'm going to process this pain. I'm, I'm not going to hide from it. Right. I'm going to name what's real, but I'm also going to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, um, I used to like take pride in the fact, you know, I could read all these scriptures. Um, but I think for me, one of the big things lately has just been taking one and really meditating on it, really holding onto it and just holding it, 
holding it safe, you know, um, all day long instead of just going, okay, I just read all this stuff. I just did all this stuff, you know, so that's been huge for me. Um, I, I've really had to learn how to say no. <laughs> it's just yeah. silly, but I have said yes my entire life. The people pleasing. That's why you get hired. That's why you get promoted. That's why, you know, everybody loves, everybody loves the Jason who says yes. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, I learned early on the first mega church I worked at in whenever that was 2005, you know, I said yes all the time. I had big vision, big dreams. I could get 500 kids at a thing. And that's the moment that my senior pastor took, took attention to me. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. Like, and I love the guy, like he might not even remember who I am, but like, I was like, okay. And so I started getting addicted that way mm-hmm. and I could experience that success and when well, I you found down his house, this the other the other way to get. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, it was mechanical error. There was. A, <laughs> there's comprehensive proof we did not do it. Um, so learning how to say no has just been huge for me. You know, like yeah. I, that's been huge. I think another big one is um, I've I've had to not meet with everybody. I've always said yes as a pastor to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so now I have some safeguards. Hey, what do you want to meet about? Oh, could you meet with our group life pastor? Yep. Brian, mm-hmm. it would be great for you to meet with him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is my, my empathy gift is so strong Yes. that it's almost like I absorb all of their pain. Yeah. And then when I, then when I come home at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm just exhausted. I'm, I, I have nothing left. And so I, my elders actually, this is kind of crazy, but they just, they just had me change my cell phone number because of that people pleasing because of the empathy thing, because I was mm-hmm. getting texts all the time. I mean, you know, Facebook message, Facebook message, text, 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 you know, all the time. And so that's, that's been really huge for me yeah. uh, to be able to go, okay. You know, and, and I think, you know, learning how to say no, how to setting up some of those safeguards have just been a huge, you know, a huge, um, bonus for me. And really like when I don't have my time alone, I walk in the mornings, I get up early and I go walk, you know, my day is just a, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just nowhere near what it can be when I have that solitude. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, I think I read it in an Orpert book. Uh, so maybe it was a now quote or something. Solitude is like taking down the scaffolding in your life, you know, all day long, all the scaffolding is just starting to build up. And the, the more time you're alone, the more time in solitude, it's like that scaffolding of anxiety and pain and fear is just kind of being brought down. And that's been insanely true for me. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Feeling other people's emotions as though they were mine. And this is subconscious, right? Like my body just does it whether I want 
it to or not. I felt like I didn't choose to be over-responsible for people. It just happened to me. And so I hear the other thing you're naming is like, this is a healthy boundary. Like, this is how you love people. <laughs> and like, right. and, and, and always saying yes and always being available and always whatever isn't love. Like, that's not, that's not loving for you or for them. And so, man, when I, when I discovered that or somebody told me that or I began to, I just read the book Boundaries. It was like yeah. I was on a magic carpet ride with Jesus, man. It was like a whole new world, <laughs> and it ch- completely changed my life. And I hear you saying, like, some of us grew up in families where this is just sort of common, basic DNA artifacts of our family. So we never have to learn right. it. We just absorb it. Some of us right. have to learn it the hard way by, like, almost, yep. you know, almost jumping off of a baseball stadium. Like, we have to learn it the yeah. hard way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been – and that's been, you know, it's – it's. I, some days I've just, like – <clears throat> my my wife actually told me yesterday she's like it's just astounding sometimes the the unbelievably low level of grace you give yourself and mm. the you know the giant amount of grace that you give everybody else wow. and i don't know why that is like i had two yeah. parents like you go in the family of origin stuff like i had two parents who i mean just bent over backwards for me loved me yeah. encouraged me mm-hmm. challenged me you know maybe this um, maybe yeah, this been, maybe the sin thing is real and it has nothing to do with <laughs> you know yeah uh, yeah yeah absolutely <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jason. The other thing I hear you saying, Jason, is that at the uh, at the front end of church planting, uh, there you 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 and I have a similar apostolic entrepreneur kind of impulse. And at the beginning of church planting, everybody kind of stoked that and got you fired up for that, and actually created metrics of success for you that were actually unhelpful for you. Um, so I, I want to, I want you to share a little bit, cause I, maybe just for me, I don't care about everybody else's listening, but, but how do you, how do you kind of, how do you, how do you deal with that apostolic entrepreneurship like that? We've got to go take this mountain. We got to go do this next thing. And then the people that are stoking that yeah, like, yeah, we need you to go take it, go take it. You got it. Um, but also managing that in terms of personal health and recognizing um, some of the metrics that we've actually created for ourselves actually are killing us and not giving us life. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's absolutely it. I, I, I'm in a season of ministry where I'm, I'm so disillusioned right now and I'm trying to figure out how to not be so disillusioned. Um, you know, you follow all these uh, pastors and I just have so much respect for so many pastors online, but you know, we had 17 people trusting Jesus and we baptized 154 and, and that was me the first three or four years. Like I've never been an altar call guy. Like, like I'm painful at it. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think part of it was I went to some Pentecostal camps as a kid, no offense, Pentecostal brothers and sisters, but like people prayed for me and I, I didn't get the gift of tongues. I didn't, you know, I didn't experience any of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. And I've actually spoke on youth retreats for Pentecostal, you know, youth pastor friends who will like do the altar call message another 30 minutes after I'm already given the 30 minute mm-hmm. message because they didn't have the altars flooded with kids, you oh, know? Man. And so, so I, I that never youth camp, do- that youth camp altar call culture is pretty amazing. It's powerful. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So those first couple of years, like, you know, I, I figured out quickly, boy, if I could cast vision in the people, if I could call them, do you want to get baptized? You know, our first, our first baptism in August of 2014, we had 63 people baptized in a lake. I mean, it was powerful, powerful day. Lots of changed lives. Fast forward a couple of years and you're like, oh, okay. 
well, that person, I oh, they were been baptized before. They just had never told us that. And oh yeah, they've raised their hand five times. And so there's just this, this <laughs> and I struggle with it because, you know, I just, there's this disillusionment. And like on the outset, like ministry, we're like saying, you know, go get them, way to hit a home run when we see those numbers. But then we start to dive into them and we're like, oh, are these really, are they really legit life change stories? Are people really being transformed in the image of Jesus? by just a raise of the hand or a check of the box. And mm -hmm. so I'm still like trying to figure that out. I learned early on in ministry, I could get the adoration. I could get the bigger church jobs because my work ethic, I can, you know, I, I can just, I, sorry, I almost swore. I stopped myself. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can, I can kick butt and work hard. And there is something about the hustle culture, right? And and mm -hmm. I think hustle is good and work is good and those kind of things. And so, yeah, so I've just kind of been in this disillusion thing. So getting all the way back to, you know, your question, I've had to come back around to going, okay, let's, let's look at health a little bit differently. You know, are our people uh, engaged uh, in our church? And, you know, what are healthy engagement levels? Uh, you know, are we checking in with people's marriages? Are we you know, more concerned with, you know, I, I was the stereotypical pastor. That's like, this Sunday is going to be the best Sunday ever. You can't miss, you have to be there. And I still like, I still weigh on that, <clears throat> but is it like, is that what's the best <laughs> thing for someone on a Sunday? You know, like you're, you're probably going to delete all this. Cause I'm just, no, you know, Jason, I'm in a, no, it's, no, no, you're, it's you're, really good. The hype machine, the hype machine. The, is thing about, the thing about hyping a Sunday is if you're going to go to the cortisol well to get people to come to your church, you better go back to it. And when you go back right. to it, you got to release yep. more. You got to get more hyped. Right. So yep. it, it, you're kind of setting yourself up for a never ending chase of that yep. even greater mountaintop. You know, and so it's it's like this. It's this tension. We want to call people into a beautiful community ex, uh, gathering experience, right? But we also don't want to keep pulling that lever of of like hype. And you won't actually be faithful unless I'm blowing smoke up your, you know, butt right. tail, tail. Right, <laughs> right. And so that's just been my, you know. So like even with my elders lately, we're kind of going okay, you know, because they they've been worried about my health, and so you know we've like we got you know, myself a coach to kind of help, you know, me think through those things and kind of set some of those healthy boundaries. And one of the biggest things I've had to do with our leadership and our church is, is not, you know, we, we kind of shot out of like a bat out of hell. The first 18 months, we grew to 500 people in 18 months. It was just go, 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 go. And then, uh, at the two year mark, we had one of our, um, volunteers make a horrible decision with, uh, one of our students, who is about to turn 16, a, an older female um, made a horrible decision with a, a, a almost 16 year old male student. <clears throat> and it just rocked our ministry. Mm. Her family was loved. I mean, it, it was just horrible. A dozen people left the church because they thought we were too hard on them. A dozen people left because we weren't hard enough. And so, you know, we just had a couple of those hits. I've always been the give everybody 900 chances. And then I find myself hiring a youth pastor who I love youth ministry. I have teenagers, but then a year later we had to let him go. And, you know, I just, I, I wanted to do the exact opposite than all you hear, like, you know, hire slow, fire quick and just get rid of them. And it's like, no, we're gonna have all these conversations. And with the people pleaser in me, it just sucked all this life and energy out of me. Mm. And so, you know, I've just, you know, I've had, I've had to, to learn, okay, this last season, uh, I've had to just make it as Jason centric less as possible. 
which is hard because, you know, you see the Stephen Furtick clips and you see the Mike Todd clips and, you know, it's just like, it's all about them all the time. And so early on we developed a teaching team. So there's four people, you know, I teach 30 times a year, which I'm told by, you know, some other leaders, that's just a horrible move because you should be the guy up front all the time. And, and I'm just like, I, but if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I want this church to keep going. And I've seen enough churches just fizzle because the main person is gone. Um, so we've done that. And then recently, even though we're only a church of, you know, maybe 400 on a Sunday only, I understand that, you know, that's a high percentage of churches in America, but um, it is fascinating going from working at a Willow Creek to planning a church, you know, like yeah. unbelievable amount of, you know, we would do a fall retreat and it'd be a $225,000 budget, you know, and like, I dream of having a budget, you know, at, at this phase, <laughs> um, uh, you know, but we're, we're trying to make, you know, I have less of a, Hey, we want to be a thousand person church. And I have more of a, let's be a church that makes the greatest amount of impact in our community as possible. And so one of the staffing things we've done is we've, you know, I, I just recently in the last couple of months, we made one of our pastors, the executive pastor. So now staff report to him. And what I found was for years, I did all the one-on-ones with staff. I did all the one-on-ones with people in our church. I met with our elders. I made all the decisions. Oh, and then I taught on Sundays and then tried to lead a family. And that's where like everything just caved in on me. Mm-hmm. And so now it's been this freeing season where he, you know, Dave is leading our staff, which he's much more gifted at. I'm not a like hold people to accountability stuff. Like I, I'm just, it's bad. And so he's doing that kind of stuff, which has freed me up to go, okay, all right, that's right. My role as a pastor is to love people, to pray for them, you know, to keep pointing them to Jesus instead of going, Hey, you're going to be here Sunday. You're going to be here Sunday. You're going to be here Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, those have been some huge huge learnings for me. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It, it's, it's almost as if Jason, there are, um, and this is a really sad thing. Uh, but in our world, there are people that will use us up pastors, uh, almost as a commodity. Um, and even in the church planting world, I, 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 I kind of cringe a lot at the, kind of we find this young guy or we find this leader that we believe in and they're typically dynamic and apostolic in some way. And we set all these crazy metrics for them and give them $200,000 and set them free. And, and, uh, and, and in the process, we don't, I don't know that we really care what happens to that person. Um, yeah. And, yeah. uh, and so if, if you were coaching a brand new church planner who was apostolic and excited and dynamic and all of these things, what, what advice would you give for self-care? Yeah, that's such a good question. I, to piggyback what you're saying after going through the church planning assessment process, uh, which I think is tremendous and it's just huge because, you know, we've got to make sure you know, if you're going to plan a church, depending on which route you go, right? Well, if you want to be the house church kind of route, okay, well, then you probably don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, I have church planner friends who are planning in San Francisco and raising $2 million. You know, we raised, we raised 80,000 when we planted. Um, and like, literally, I got on Facebook and begged other churches for equipment, you know, so it was a totally different kind of thing. But the one thing that I just, and I've been through other assessment processes, and I've been there as a coach, I just don't think we set people up for the pain that's about to come. I just wish we spent time. Like, I think they should like have to do a course 
in emotionally healthy leadership and ho- emotionally healthy church stuff by Pierce Cazero. Yep. You know, just to kind of drill because I just found through, and I love the organization that helped plan our church. I I love it all. I love the stuff that I learned at the bigger churches and the smaller churches, but the the grow 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 big big big. for for the 98% of churches out there, right? The 2%, they just magically explode the Mike Todd's. And it's not magically, it's the Holy Spirit. I know God is using those guys, but I'm also not disillusioned, but I'm also, um, I've also been on the inside enough to know when you put enough money behind something and you put enough money into marketing and you put it like, it's going to draw people. So, you know, I would just, if, if I were planning a church again, I would spend so much time going through emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy leadership, emotionally healthy church. I would get a, a spiritual director or a spiritual coach that would challenge me to kind of stay grounded. Hmm. And then I would, I would have both kind of metrics. Yeah. I think it's good to have a metric. Like we, we want to reach more people because we want more people to know Jesus and to transform central Michigan. Mm-hmm. But we also want to make sure that we're reaching people the right way, that we're not creating all this hype, that we're not doing, you know, all of those kind of things. It's kind of the difference between, you know, upper room and lower room vision people, you know, lower room are your people who's coming to the church for programs or just for the pastor or for people and your upper room vision, you know, are people that are going, yep, I'm sold into this vision. There are people in my area who don't know Jesus and they need this life, you know, changing you know, message with Jesus. So yeah, that's good. It, Little Will Mancini uh, there, buddy. That's, that's yeah. my guy. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My I buddy. can quote everybody. Sorry, I didn't give yeah. him credit. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. That's We've great. had Max Cicado. We've had Scazero. <laughs> we burned down Heibel's house. We've got we burned down Heibel's house. <laughs> Uh, Jason, uh, I appreciate you so much, man. Uh, I, and uh, the reason I kind of wanted you to be on here is because I, I just appreciate uh, your social media presence. I appreciate the way you've been vulnerable and honest and authentic. Mm. Uh, I've been encouraged watching your story, even some, so some of it's from a distance, but watching your story and watching how you faithfully navigated a season of deep pain and hurt, um, mm. but continue to be faithful and continue to be honest and continue to say, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm pushing forward and I'm following yep. Jesus to the best of my ability. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you. Um, how can people interact with you and connect with you? Yeah. Hey, before I do that, I just I want to read one more quote, um, just to name drop one more person. Come on, yeah. come on. Um, come on and you, you probably, you probably seen this, but I just found it. I, I just, I just forward, uh, put this on Facebook the other day, but Dan White Jr. Uh, he just had this and I don't know, you guys probably know, yeah, him, we but know. I'm just, I just been following him for a while, but uh, yeah. being a pastor is a constant plunge into loss and rejection. Regularly, people come into your life and then leave because you don't meet their expectations. Pay attention to this pain and process it with others. And boy, that just resonated with me to be able to go. I'm not going to shove it down anymore. So, yeah, I am online. Um, Jason Rates, R-A-I-T-Z on Facebook and Instagram. My website's down. I should be really bummed about that, but I'm trying to get it back and going. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you could find me on basically on Facebook. That's, that's where I'm at. So. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us yeah. into your story awesome. today. Giving us, yeah, thanks, giving us Jason. permission to name those places of alignment and sort of congruence. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening. Peace, Jason. Thanks, man. See ya. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. 
You can check out his work at AaronSternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.